Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Drag me out of my hole for an hour a week? For this, how rude. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the recording studio built here at my home office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to enjoy this fine show. There you go. Uh, in uh, this week's episode in Pipe Parts, I'm going to cover the uh, pipes that I regret buying or selling or trading or not buying and so on and so on and then my guest is eric weaver who is a pipe maker and a potter and we get to talk to him and then we'll also have uh, music suggested by him by a pipe smoking friend of his and mailbag and rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show uh this past weekend was kind of fun. It was uh, filled with uh, pipe smoking, uh, <laughs> pipe smoking meetings. Um, one on Zoom, which I've been hanging out with the same basic group on Saturdays, and it's a small group, 10, 12, You know, sometimes a little bigger, sometimes smaller. And then on Sunday, my uh, local Charlotte Pipe Club, we had uh, what did we have? Five of us in the in my garage doing a socially distant pipe smoke, which is always fun to see people in person and smoke pipes together in person and share tobacco together in person. So um, only the, uh, well, let's see, maybe the second time I've seen a pipe smoker in person since the middle of June. But um, always great to get together with those guys. Uh, If your uh, pipe club is not gathering, you may want to consider doing a socially distant pipe gathering. Uh, in somebody's garage, and especially as uh, you know, this is August, September's right around the corner. We're going to start seeing some fall weather. Might be perfect for some outdoor pipe club meetings. So uh, just a thought for you. And for those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, it's going to start warming up again, so you can do that too. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. Savinelli Pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. are back on the pipes magazine radio show and uh, finishing up with the ask the experts questions and remember the last one that i asked them was is there a pipe that they uh you know that they had that got rid of and regretted or is there a pipe that they didn't buy and regretted well i've got i've got two different versions of that that i want to add to it because i again I, i really try not to um not to regret uh, getting rid of something or passing up a pipe. 
Um, instead, let me tell you two different stories. One story is of a pipe that I saw on uh, on smokingpipes.com, and it came out, and it was way out of my league price-wise at the time. And I, but I really loved the look of it. I, I actually got to see it in person at the Chicago pipe show or, you know, one of the pipe shows and, and then it, it, it quickly sold and off it went. And I thought, you know, I would really love to have that pipe and I, and I'll just keep an eye out. Well, lo and behold, um, it came back and became available as an estate pipe and what had happened was there, there, there was a combination of things that happened to that pipe. Um, the person that bought it smoked it and smoked it wrong. Um, I know I've been around pipes long enough and know enough about what happens to a pipe when a pipe smoker abuses a pipe. Well, this pipe had been abused and I was able to buy it at a very good estate pipe price and then did a little bit of uh, nurturing to it and care to it to fix some of the damage but again couldn't fix all the damage because some of the damage was to the rim of the bowl but anyway I now have that pipe and it's one of my yeah it's in my collection and one that will stay with me for a long time and it smokes really good and I just know exactly how to smoke it and how to take care of it. So there's a pipe that I wished I could have bought when it first came out, and it ended up coming back to me anyway after being um, road hard and put up wet. Um, now, regret-wise, l- let me talk to you about pipe show regrets that I have had. And there comes a uh, you know the, there comes a time at a pipe show where. You know, maybe you haven't found a pipe that you wanted or found the perfect pipe for you and you end up buying pipes just because, well, they're in your price range and they kind of fit the bill, but they're not exactly perfect, but you don't want to leave the pipe show without buying a pipe or maybe there's an eBay auction that you get caught up in. Well, this has happened to me more times than I would like to admit where... I've gotten caught up in the uh, caught up in the excitement of the moment, caught up in the urges to buy something, and ended up buying pipes that were, you know, either out of my element or just not exactly what I was looking for, or something that was, you know, just not familiar to me. And those pipes, you know, sometimes didn't work for me. Um, and more often than not, I'd end up taking a loss on them and trading them and selling them back. So over the years now, I have learned that, you know, if you go to a pipe show or if you're watching auctions that are timed and the pipe and the price is just not right for you, don't push it. Don't push just because you feel the need to buy something at that moment. Make sure that whatever you're buying is the price that you want to pay or is, uh, you know, exactly what you want. Don't push it because it's out of your element. Uh, On the other hand, I will say one time I did buy out of my element or out of the area that I was looking in and the pipe ended up to be really good. 
and it kind of opened my eyes a little bit. But um, more often than not, you know, you're gonna. I was on the wrong end of that uh, impulse purchasing or desire purchasing, and I just try not to do that anymore. I try to make sure that whatever I'm buying pipe wise is exactly what I want, and. I've done the research beforehand on the pipe and I know that what I'm getting is from, you know, a seller that I like as well as a pipe brand that I know exactly how it's going to work for me and it's comfortable in my price range. Don't push those elements. So those are, those are my two versions of it. I really don't have a pipe that I've sold that I wish I could have back. Um, and there's really not one one other particular pipe that I wish I would have bought when I got a chance. I mean, heck, if I could have gone back to 2002 or three and had the money, I wish I would have bought a couple of Bo Nords and uh, Yes Conowitzes and Lars Eversons when they were lower priced. But I wouldn't have them anyway right now because I would have sold them and you know, taken the profit on it and probably bought five or six pipes with it. So. Can't, uh, can't go back, so don't worry about it. All right, there's my thoughts. If you have any comments or questions or ideas or your own your own stories, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Pipes Magazine. And in just a minute, Eric Weaver. This is Internet Radio. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is, uh, you know, one of those guys that can probably make anything with his hands, and I think I'm beginning to hate him already, Uh, (laughs) but uh, pipe maker and potter Eric Weaver, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, thank you very much for having me, Brian. All right, so first of all, your last name's Weaver, but you are a potter. So is your family a little confused? (laughs) You know, I think it's been many generations since anybody was a professional weaver, so it's not much of (laughs) an issue. (laughs) And did you name one of your kids Harry? I'm just... No. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have two daughters, so that didn't happen. Harriet Potter. No, all right, I'm done with all the bad jokes and everything. Um... All right, so first of all, where do, where did you grow up, and when did pipe smoking become part of your life? Well, I actually, I grew up in central Wisconsin, um, down in a little town called Spencer, pretty much right in the middle of the state. It's kind of mostly farm country. Um, pipe smoking, I actually started smoking a pipe when I was 17, but uh, before that I had... Uh, already kind of been into tobacco a fair amount when I was <laughs> underage. There's just a lot of smoking going on in the area. So of course I experimented with cigarettes and cigars and stuff like that. But, um, you know, so probably back in 
99 or so, uh, my grandfather died. And at that time, I was living with my grandparents. And um, so me and uh, my brother and one of my cousins inherited um, some of his pipes. He was more of a um, uh, tobacco. He chewed tobacco quite a bit. Copenhagen was his main um, tobacco. But he also smoked cigars, mostly cheap Philly cigars, and he had a handful of pipes that he would smoke on occasion. So we inherited some of his pipes, and, um, you know, we're, I was always interested in, in pipes. Even when I was a real little kid, I remember him smoking his pipe, and I also remember being at my great-grandfather's house, and he had a pipe rack with some pipes, and I always... Wow. Um, I always liked looking at them. I found them to be fascinating objects. So, so yeah, back when I was about 17 is when I first started up pipe smoking, and I found it very relaxing and a lot better than uh, than cigarettes or cigars. And so I've uh, pretty much been smoking a pipe for a little over 20 years, I guess. So are we talking like rural farmland, Wisconsin, cheese, you know, cheese and cows all over the place? Oh, yeah. Cheese, cows, beer, brats, uh, quite a bit of Amish and Mennonite yeah. population down in that area. I currently live in far northern Wisconsin, and I've lived up here for, um, oh, let me think, probably 16, 17 years now. I, mean, I I'm looking on the map and where where you live is north of Lee Von Erich in the Upper Peninsula, and I always tease him about living in the North Pole. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit further north than than him, but I live on kind of a a sheltered bay, the Shawamigan Bay area of Wisconsin, and so we still get some pretty harsh winters and a good snow load. But I think Lee probably gets heavier snow throughout the year. <laughs> in the UP, they seem to get slammed a little bit more from the open lake where I'm in more of a sheltered bay. <laughs> uh, not a lot of uh, local pipe shops up there? Uh, not anymore, no. There used to be a um, a chain of book and tobacco shops in Wisconsin and called Book World, and there was one down near the town that I grew up in in central Wisconsin, and so that's kind of where I first started buying tobacco and and uh, pipes and things like that and then after i had ended up here in northern wisconsin while i was going to college i actually worked at um that bookstore and sold pipes and tobacco or cigars stuff like that yeah now like I, that. i'm familiar I'm familiar with them because I know that at one point I think Yulee's in Milwaukee was supplying them with stuff, but kind of describe what, yep. I mean, it's a, it like nowadays there's bookstores with a Starbucks in it, but this was a right. bookshop, a bookstore with a tobacconist in it, right? Yeah, correct. Um, you couldn't smoke in the place, but they had, you walked in and pretty much to the right, they would have um, kind of uh, these glass cases full of pipes and pipes on the walls and they'd have a really small humidor and a little cabinet humidors and um yeah it was a it was a pretty cool 
cool store. And like I said, I grew up with it and then I worked for them later on. And it was, it was a, it was a fun time, but I think they closed up about three or four years ago. The whole, the whole chain closed. Yeah. Unfortunately, but it was a lot of fun. Got to, you know, I, it was great working with all the books and magazines. And then I was kind of the go-to guy for the tobacco section at that store. So, so <laughs> what, what were some of the, uh, what were some of the more popular pipes and tobaccos that you sold there? Well, they, they mostly sold kind of low to mid grade pipes. Um, we sold um, probably our most popular would have been some of the, some of the lower end Sabinelli's. Um, they had like their, standing series i forgot what they called them oscars and um occasionally we'd have some nording pipes and some petersons and they would have lorenzo's and a lot of pipes i don't even really remember the names of them Yulies used to send up a bunch of their house pipes that were of course made in other factories and just stamped Yulies. yeah so we rarely had anything that was over a hundred dollars yeah oh but imagine a bookstore oh never yeah okay i'm i'm just getting all excited uh well, it was it was nice i liked it yeah so is is pipe smoking kind of is it a daily thing for you or is it more of a special occasion thing i smoke every day um i most i smoke between one and three times a day on average so I usually smoke in the morning with my cup of coffee and then um, in the afternoon around two o'clock, I'll often have a, a midday smoke. And then in the evening, probably around eight o'clock, I'll have a kind of a richer, a richer bowl of uh, some sort of English Latakia blend. Keep the mosquitoes away. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm assuming with the winter time, you've got yourself an indoor smoking space. Yeah, my uh, workshop and pottery studio is down in the basement. I have it set up pretty good, and uh, I do. I can. I smoke down here. I don't smoke up in my the rest of my house, having kids and everything. I just choose not to do it anymore. But um, in the basement, I smoke pretty much whenever I want. I don't smoke all day long, but like I said, about one to three bowls a day. You know, you can get rid of the kids. <laughs> yeah, not for at least another 10 or 12 years. Probably. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the pottery. Um, when did you when did you start throwing, what do you call it, throwing clay or whatever? <laughs> right, yeah, throwing, throwing pots. Um, well, I first started doing ceramics in high school, but that was more sculptural work. The art teacher there didn't really have a pottery background. But I really enjoyed that. Just I used to I still do a lot of what you call hand building or sculptural work with clay making um, kind of crazy masks and things that you could hang on the wall or outside or whatever. And then um, so I always had an interest in that and art in general. When I was 21, I. Um, found myself living here in northern Wisconsin. I had kind of followed a girl up here who is now my wife and <laughs> um, decided to go back to school. And so I just kind of naturally gravitated towards the art department. And I think it was probably around 2005 or six. I started taking 
ceramic classes and um you know it just it's just kind of gone from there i've been making making pottery ever since um but i actually started making pipes um the first time i made a pipe was probably late 2003 well, well hang on. so you've been making pipes longer than you've been uh throwing pots yeah that's that's true that's true Wow. All right. You know, we're, we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to find out about this uh, pipe making and then uh, throwing pots with Eric the Weaver. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at SmokingPipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, campers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with with Eric Weaver. Uh, all right, so you so you decided to start making pipes back in 2003. I mean, that's that's kind of uh, that that's kind of uh, a, an advanced uh, you're kind of ahead of the grade there with a lot of these a lot of the newer pipe makers. Yeah, I I I've been making pipes for quite a long time i mean not in in mass quantities it was kind of more of a hobby um i'd been interested in it for quite a while mostly because i couldn't afford and i still can't really afford a lot of the uh, pipes i'm drawn to and um yeah i think it was around late 2003 i was in um, the twin cities area i lived there for about a year before i moved up north here and um my girlfriend at the time now my wife um i was talking about seeing a uh you know carve your own pipe kit at um a little smoke shop in lilydale minnesota that was owned by a guy named frank storm at the time and so she bought it for me i think it was for my a birthday present and so that was the the first pipe that i made i um i got that and just kind of started carving away at it with a with a <laughs> whittling knife and some files and a, a hacksaw <laughs> and uh yeah and it's just kind of kind of growing from there so um, so after you murdered that block of wood uh <laughs> did you have, have you worked with other pipe makers or did you just figure it out on your own um, it's all pretty much just been trial and error on my part. Um, you know, I've just, I've never really had enough money or time 
or when I had money, I didn't have the time or when I had the time, I didn't have the money to kind of seek out other pipe makers and try to try to work with them. Um, it's been a, you know, it's been a, a long journey of saving up money and buying secondhand tools and, and improving my, my little workshop and, you know, buying a house, starting a family, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I've been, I've been working at it for a while, mostly as a hobby. You know, I would sell pipes to friends and family or, or just people that kind of knew about me locally, but I've probably only been offering my pipes more to the general pipe community in about the last four or five years, and especially in the last couple of years. From a pipe making standpoint, who are, who are what pipes are kind of your influences? Oh man, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, in the early days, um, I mean, I would say I'm influenced by everybody, but I don't really try to copy anybody. Um, my biggest connection to the pipe community, especially early on was through books and magazines my uh, cousin had a copy of the ultimate pipe book and that was kind of my first eye-opening eye-opening experience to um i guess the pipe world and i just devoured that book and soon after that i found a copy for myself at a used bookstore as as well as a couple of um issues of the pipe smokers ephemeris <laughs> and um you know i've i've just read every scrap of information that I could find since then in books or magazines, pipes and tobacco magazines. I've, I have the entire collection and I've read them all several times. Um, you know, there's just so many great pipe carvers. It's, they're all so inspiring. I was really drawn to Levon Irk's um, work early on. And, um, Back in, I think it was 2008, some buddies of mine took me for my bachelor my bachelor weekend. We kicked it off by going to Rich Lewis's shop in Minneapolis. Oh, boy. And that was awesome. Um, he was kind enough to let us come and hang out and have a smoke. And he he showed, he was just kind of working on some stuff. He, he didn't. Um, it wasn't like a apprenticeship or a teaching kind of thing, but he showed me kind of the stuff he was working on. We talked about pipes a little bit and, and, uh, so that, that made a pretty big impression on me. Just, he's probably the only other pipe maker I've ever met in person. And, uh, I'm really grateful for that experience. I was able to go back about a year later in 2009 and hang out with him again for an afternoon. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot of influences. I mean, I do a lot of freehand stuff, but I also do classics. I, I appreciate the full spectrum. I'm really blown away by, like, Tokatami's work, for sure, and all the Danes, but I also really love a nice classic uh, Levat or a billiard. And, yeah, I mean, the, the Italians have their own spin on things, so I, I try to just kind of absorb everything and kind of have it in my subconscious when I'm, when I'm working on something. Now, pipe making has never been your full-time earnings source of income, right? No. Um, 
for the last 10 years, I've been working um, in uh, for a company that would fix and restore log buildings, like log cabins. <laughs> and uh, so that's what I've been doing for the last decade that paid the bills and allowed me to support to support a family. Um, and I would have the winters off. So during the winter is when I would focus on pipe making and pottery making. But I'm no longer doing that job. So right now I'm trying to uh, just keep improving as a pipe maker and a potter and get my, my work out there more and make more connections in the pipe community. And uh, it's been pretty mind-blowing um, up until just a couple of years ago. Like I said, my only real information about the pipe community as a whole was through these old issues of Pipes and Tobacco magazine and the Pipe, Smackers, the pipe Smokers F Ephemeris and things like that. So... Yeah, I want to I want to back up and ask you about the log cabin thing for just sure. a, just just because I don't know anybody that's ever you know all I can think of is you know Abraham Lincoln or Daniel Boone building their own. <laughs> yeah. Uh so I'm assuming that these are, you know, actual timber log cabins and some of them get pretty big but you know what if a if an angry badger got at some of the logs would you have to go in there and replace a new log or something yeah yeah exactly we would uh i've worked on everything from a little deer shack in the middle of wood tick country to big log mansions um in that are built in suburbs of some of the bigger cities in the midwest and uh what we would basically do is we'd go in and if there's rotten logs, you use a chainsaw and you cut out the rotten log either all the way, or maybe you'd only go about halfway deep into the log and break it out. And then, and then, um, basically custom fit a new log to be put in its place. And yeah, it was, it was good work. It was a lot of fun, but kind of hard on the body. And I've been looking to get out of it and, my kids are getting older and I don't really want to travel around as much anymore. So now I'm just trying to focus on, focus on doing my own thing. Now, were you using heavy machinery to move these logs or was it, you know, four lumberjacks from Northern Wisconsin, just humping the logs on their back? Mostly four lumberjacks. <laughs> um, occasionally we'd be able to get like a, a little truck crane or something, but usually the, the areas that we would work in were pretty remote and sometimes we would have to barge logs over if it was a remote cabin on some sort of private island and things like that. Wow. And then you basically haul them, haul them in and, and, uh, a lot of grunt work, a lot of sweat. Yeah. Okay. So never mind. Throwing pots sounds a whole lot easier now. <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer to work with on lightweight projects these days if possible. All right. You gotta, you gotta educate me. I, I'm, I'm fascinated with pottery. I think, you know, we here in the Carolinas, we've got, you know, tons of red clay. So of course there's a lot of potters around, but. Oh yeah. North Carolina is a big area for pottery. Yeah. Kind of take us through, I mean, take us through the basics of, give us the give us the five minute education on what all you what all it takes to make something well um a lot of practice first of all 
and and you basically you take the clay and you work it into a kind of a you knead it kind of like bread dough and get all the air air pockets worked out of it you call that wedging then um, you put that clay on a on the spinning wheel and center it um, and then you basically use your hands to kind of pinch pinch the clay and what you call throwing you throw it up and get uh, a cylinder of uh, whatever height you want built and from there you you uh, you form it into the shape that you want after that's done you have to let it dry for about a day and then you put it back on the wheel upside down and you trim it um, much like a lathe except for on a vertical instead of a horizontal you trim the the bottom of the pot and you make a nice little foot ring you kind of just cut off the excess clay and then you let it dry again for a few days or a week or however long you want to and then you have to fire it in a kiln of some sort to um, about 16 8 to 1800 degrees and that's called the bisque firing and that just hardens the clay from there you would apply different glazes which are made out of all kinds of different minerals depending on the colors and effects that you want so you would dip or or brush the glaze on and then you load your kiln up again with the glazed work and you do a whole nother firing process to a higher temperature um, i usually fire at my house to what we call cone six which is a way that you measure with these little cones that melt at certain temperatures and that's about 2200 degrees and then um, if you're doing wood firing which i also do then then you would fire up to about 2500 degrees until the until the pots are completely finished and and um, ready to be sold so is wood firing where you're using uh, where you're burning wood inside the kiln to create the heat exactly yeah i do both electric firing and wood firing at my house here in town i have an electric kiln and that's where i probably do most of my um, coffee mugs and things like that and that's a little bit easier to control and then two weeks out of the year i go i drive about a half an hour away to uh to another potter potter's house his name is mike weber he's a retired ceramic professor and he lives way out in the middle of the woods and he has some gigantic he has a lot of different wood kilns built out there but we have a um, big 25 foot long japanese style anagama kiln that is all fired by wood and during that two-week time we we throw all the pots we glaze them we have to cut all the wood stack all the wood load the load the kiln and then we fire it for about three to four days um 24 hours a day until we get up to the right temperature and and uh decide that it is it is done and so that's a lot of fun um my heart's really in wood firing i hope to hopefully someday someday build my own wood kiln but right now i pretty much do all my wood firing during that two weeks of the year. So you've got to work that fire for a couple of days, 24 hours a day to get it up to the temperature. 
Correct. Yeah. And it, it takes a community, um, you know, especially with a kiln that size, you need a minimum of probably eight people, nine people. And, you know, it helps if you have more like 15 because you, you break it down into shifts, you know, you have morning shift or day shift and then uh, swing shift and night shift. So it's being stoked with wood pretty much every about once a minute to once every two minutes. Wow. Yeah. Is there a lot of, uh, is there a lot of beer drinking and brats being eaten during this? Um, yeah, a lot of beer drinking. We, we actually, during that time, we don't eat a lot of brats because we don't, we're all camping. We're all out there camping in tents and it's kind of, there's a lot of black bear and different animals out there. So we try not to cook a lot of meat over the fire because that really draws them in. So I, I pretty much survive on eggs and cheese and lining Kugel's beer, lining Kugel's beer when I'm out there. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it could almost sound like this is an excuse for a bunch of guys to go outside or people to go outside and uh, camp out for a couple weeks. Oh yeah. It's a great excuse. It's like my, my big getaway for myself every year. And I get to see friends from all over the world. People come from all over the country and all over the world to take part in it. Wow. And it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, one year I remember we did it and I was sitting there looking around and here I was stoking this Japanese style wood kiln with uh, an ear, nose and throat doctor from Chile and uh, uh, some sort of a lawyer from Nigeria. <laughs> and, um, you know, and of course, there's people from all over the states, uh, the Midwest and New York and um we've had some people from japan come over so it's just it's a lot of fun where you get to meet all these different people way up here in the middle of northern wisconsin out just in the middle of the woods and um it's a great experience for me because it's like a vacation in my own stomping grounds and i get to i kind of get to to appreciate where i live even more by looking looking at the the area through through fresh eyes and, and i would guess all these people coming from different areas would bring different cultural influences and different you know styles to what they're making and you get to see that too oh yeah everyone everyone definitely has their own style of working and um you know their own personality and so it's it's uh, usually great fun potters in general are a pretty laid-back um easygoing group <laughs> and um yeah it's it's a great time i really love it so your your website is c smoke pipes and pottery s-e-a-s-m-o-k-e pipes and pottery.com there's a lot of cool looking stuff in there i'm gonna have to show my wife some of the masks because uh, i think she'll be interested uh, yeah <laughs> and then there's pipes on there too and your pipe prices i don't know at the time we're recording this, you've only got one available and, but it's all handmade and it's $175. So you're, you're keeping your pipes in a, you know, in the popular pricing. Yeah. My, my pipes, I generally at this point pretty much ask about 125 to 225 for, um, I mean, of course I'd like to get more who wouldn't, but you know, I'm kind of a, 
uh, you know, I'm not very well known, even though I have been making pipes for a long time. It's been on such a, a small level of production and, um, you know, people just don't know about me. So that's, that's where I'm comfortable for price selling at this point. I personally can't really afford anything above that myself. So, so that's, that's kind of all factored into my prices. Well, I found you on Instagram, so it's Sea Smoke Pipes and Pottery on Instagram. And the you know, now the pottery and the pipes is your full time thing, so we gotta keep you busy, so everybody check out his website. Well, yeah, any support would be appreciated. I was quite surprised when you sent me the message and, and uh very flattered. So thank you very much for that, Brian. Well, with that, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. What is your favorite pipe? Uh, my favorite pipe shape would be a Levat. And what is your favorite tobacco? Uh, in the morning, I smoke Virginias. and the in, in the evening, I like a pretty stout Latakia blend. Yeah, you're one of those people that I hate that can smoke all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I like the full spectrum of things. I like options. What is your favorite drink? Um, well, for beer, it's Line and Kugel's original, but otherwise, I mostly just drink coffee and water. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Whew. Um. I guess if I could only take one, it would probably be music. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Um, well, one memory that I, that I really like thinking about is one Thanksgiving, my dad came up here to visit and me and my dad are kind of really big on going to auctions and estate sales and, you know, finding different junk and things like that. And so, we drove a ways to this antique store and we went in there and it was one of these old timer antique stores where everything was really reasonable. And we went in there and there's this whole big rack of pipes uh -oh. and we started looking at that. And, uh, my dad found a couple. And then I noticed that the older gentleman that owned the place was sitting at his, at his, um, counter looking at some more pipes. And so I walked over there and I bought, all the pipes he was looking at, including a Dunhill from like 1930 something. And I even bought the uh, magnifying glass right out of his hand that, that he was um, <laughs> looking at it with. So I always get a kick out of finding estate pipes, especially at antique stores, which is becoming harder and harder to find all the time. Eric Weaver, the potter and pipe maker. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me, Brian. I'm a big fan of the show, and, uh, you know, the, the pipe smoking community has been great. Um, you can also find me on YouTube. I have a YouTube uh, channel. I'm a member of the YouTube pipe community, and um, that's a good place to see what I'm up to. We'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. 
using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf. Each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. This is Internet Radio. And we are back uh, to see Eric's uh, YouTube channel. It is Sea Smoke Pipes. S-E-A-S-M-O-K-E-P-I-P-E-S. And this week for music, uh, a friend of Eric's is a guy named Frankie Lee. And this song is called Only She Knows. Uh, you can find uh, Frankie's got two albums on uh, that are available on YouTube for listening and streaming there and other places. Uh, his, it's Frankie Lee, L-E-E. And again, this one's called Only She Knows.
Again, Frankie spells his name F-R-A-N-K-I-E. Last name Lee, L-E-E. Check him out. You, Daddy, have an email. In the mailbag, and remember, comments or questions, email me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or go to pipesmagazine.com, post it right there under the radio show page, just like uh, these fine folks did, including Renfield, who said, uh, regarding last week's show, once again, a great show this week. We are transported to Serbia for a, for a pleasant chat with Milos, Mike. Uh, you never know what's coming, but you do know it will be time well spent. Thanks again, Brian, for your hard work. The Pipes Magazine radio show is a genuine enhancement to our shared hobby. Well, thank you very much for all those kind words. And I really enjoyed getting to talk to Mike. I mean, just you know, talented and passionate about what he's doing. Uh, and then Dino says, this was a very wide-ranging and interesting conversation with Milos. Wonderful European aspect. It's enlightening to get that perspective and understand that we are not alone in our travails in pursuing our pipe-smoking interests. And it points to a global brother and sisterhood of the briar. Uh, the song was, as you said, fun. Rest in peace to your mouse. Thanks for another always entertaining show. You are welcome, Dino. Um, and uh, I'll say I'm still the mouse, the new mouse I'm getting used to. The new keyboard, not so much. Oh, um, anyway. Uh, and then uh, Mark Friedman wrote this a while back. He says, uh, uh, I've been enjoying your podcast very much. They are most informative and entertaining. I'm still learning new stuff about the pipe smoking hobby from you and your guests. And even though I've been a pipe smoker since the mid 1970s, I worked for 10 years as a Saturday part-timer at the Briary here in Birmingham. Hope you enjoyed your visit uh, with, here with Skip Elliott and company a few years ago. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you very much for all that. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've, I, so let me say this real quick. Uh, to those of you that are newer in the world of pipe smoking, I've been at it for 20-something years and I'm still learning new stuff. Still doing it. So keep at it. Um, it's a it's an evolving thing. And then uh, finally in the mailbag, Luis from uh, Portugal, who I owe an email to. So Luis, when you hear this, I apologize. Um, he writes, and, and again, he was the original inspiration for the seven questions. I modified them just slightly, but uh, he writes, here's his... Uh, his observations regarding the series uh, from the Seven Samurai. He said, one, I'm with the ones that think that more wood equals cooler smoke, but damn, my corn cobs are so cool to smoke too. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so he likes a longer pipe, but his corn cobs do well too. And, and the corn cob, I mean, the Missouri Meerschaum, it just breathes real well. So uh, he says on the second one, uh, I have two pipes with horn stem, and I can tell you no smell or taste of anything but the tobacco. The stems are a bit, a bit sensitive. They tend to get tooth marks faster than acrylic, but then I hold the pipes between my teeth, so that's it. <laughs> so he doesn't mind the horn. Uh, he loved the differences of opinion regarding the pipe proper to smoke flakes. For him, it's taller and thinner bowls are the best. Uh, Oil-cured pipes, I agree that the effect fades out with age. And then he said, I guess older, more experienced pipe smokers tend to like bigger pipes, overall size and chamber dimensions. 
but I love the chubby ones from the Italian carvers. And, and I'll add into this that, you know, uh, I know a handful of older, more experienced pipe smokers that are going to smaller and smaller pipes. And it's just, it's for comfort and for, um, you know, for time. So it's not so much that if you get older, they, you, you just want them to get bigger. Uh, and then he says, I prefer the bowls natural, no, with no coating and work to build the cake. I still can't get the tobacco dog all the way down, though. There's always some moisture that keeps me from going all the way to the bottom and fill those parts with a proper cake. Any ideas? And I said, uh, no, <laughs> I don't have any ideas because I very rarely build a cake on the bottom of the bowl. Uh, I sometimes build a char, but I don't really get a cake built on the bottom of my bowl the way I hear some of these people that talk about it. Uh, regarding moisture at the bottom of the bowl, well, I just use a pipe cleaner during the smoke to try to pull it out. And that's the only thing that I can really say. Um, and uh, anyway, and then he uh, suggested uh, a discussion of calabashes and reverse calabashes. And I think I'll save that for the next Ask the Pipe Maker so that Jeff and I can pontificate on the idea of the reverse calabash and the calabash bowl. All right. Again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or go to pipesmagazine.com and post them right there on the radio show page. And uh, in just a moment, rant time. There's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. call this one the uh, head bone is connected to the neck bone or in some cases the head bone is connected to the ass bone uh it just depends on who you are but here in north carolina right now in public in 2020 we are required to wear face coverings and i'm not getting into the political issue of whether or not uh, face coverings work or whatever i'm not not getting into that at all. I'm just saying that here in North Carolina, we are required to wear a face covering, and it, and it specifically spells out the type. You know, a two-layer cloth mask, whatever you want to call it, face covering when in public, and it must cover our mouth and our nose. But apparently, apparently some people do not understand that the nose also is connected to the lungs. And here's how breath works. Your you know, air goes in through your mouth or your nose, goes into your lungs, and comes back out through your mouth or your nose. But apparently some people think it's okay to just have the mask covering their mouth. And they don't understand that, you know, that the air comes out of the nose too. So apparently people don't understand how to wear a mask. And here in North Carolina, it's become a bit of a problem with people uh, in stores having to spe you know, specify it must cover your nose and your mouth and you have to keep it on all the time. You know what? I realize it may not be the most convenient thing, but 
it's what it is and we have to do it if we want to go out and it has to cover your nose because your nose is connected to your lungs just the same way your mouth is connected to your lungs and we as pipe smokers know that because if you can do the retrohale through your nose you get completely different flavors and a different experience and sometimes you might accidentally inhale and get it into your lungs. But anyway, uh, just a reminder to everybody that your nose is connected to your lungs, okay? Just spell that out for everybody. And your ears are kind of connected to your nose and so on and so on. So uh, I'm just saying, <laughs> all right, cover everything up. Do, what's, do what you're supposed to do based off your local laws. All right, uh, enough of that. <laughs> really, I promise. Uh, thank you to Eric Weaver, the potter, for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. The clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy That is the best hour-long nap of the week.